Our work at KEHI matters, not only to impact the lives of our retail partners and suppliers, but to make a difference in our families, our communities, and even the world. Hello, my name is Adrienne Binder, and I'm your host for Fruit of Your Labor, a KEHI podcast. We aspire to update you on what's happening at KEHI and inspire you with the amazing stories of how you are working to make lives better. Enjoy the episode. January is National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month. It's hard not to shudder when hearing about the subject of human trafficking. According to the International Labor Organization, at any given time, an estimated 40 million people, mostly girls, women, and boys, are caught in trafficking throughout the world. It's a scourge of the modern world that exists even in America. And in the U.S. alone, it is estimated that hundreds of thousands of people are trafficked each year. Also known as modern slavery, human trafficking is the illegal trade in human beings through recruitment or abduction by means of force, fraud, or coercion for the purposes of forced labor, debt bondage, or sexual exploitation. In this episode, we welcome back Randy Shaw, who is the Director of Outreach for the Kahee Cares Foundation. Randy is going to interview two leaders of Kahee Cares partner organizations who are on the front lines in this war focusing on rescue and restoration. Chris Baker of Inc. 180 and Simone Halpin of Naomi's House. Randy, welcome back to Fruit of Your Labor. And I'm just gonna go ahead and hand it over to you. Thanks, Adrian. It's good to be here again and talk about a subject that I'm very passionate about. I've seen a lot of oppression and really sad things during the years I've been able to travel with K-Cares and nothing has affected me the way the issue of human trafficking has. I was first exposed to it in 2014 in Pune, India, where we were doing some work in rescuing traffic girls there. What I didn't realize is how devastating the problem is, and actually that it's right here in the U.S. as well. So today, we have two of our domestic partners in anti-trafficking, Chris Baker from Inc. 180 and Simone Halpin from Naomi's House. Chris is the founder of Inc. 180. It's a ministry that, among other things, removes or covers over tattoos of trafficking victims. Uh, Simone is the founder of Naomi's House in Chicago, which is a safe house and are really a restorative ministry for women who have been trafficked in the Chicagoland area. Good morning, Chris and Simone. Thanks for taking the time to share with the Kehi Nation about the great work you're both doing and that we feel so privileged to come alongside of you in. Good morning, thank you. Could each of you give us a little background about yourself as well as a description of the organization that that you've put together? So, Simone? Okay, sure. Background about myself. So, I, my, my husband and I are Texans, so I'll start there because any true Texan will make sure to mention that. I finished grad school in 2008 and became a staff member for the Moody Church downtown Chicago. And my role there was the director of women's care. And that role just provided me the opportunity to, what I like to say um, often is just put some feet to my faith and really get outside the walls of the church 
and just become more aware of the needs of women, particularly in the Chicago area. And through different opportunities, I was introduced to another organization that does outreach to women who are caught in prostitution. And it was my first exposure to what this issue looked like. And I mean, I've shared many, many times, but I think through the course of meeting women on the streets of Chicago, a very local, very personal place to me, you know, where I would take my kids to and from school and drive to and from work. Um, those same streets were in a completely different world at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m. in the morning. And when I started to meet women who were forced to sell their bodies because they were being controlled by a trafficker or a pimp, um, it was clearly very life-changing to me. And it wasn't just an issue anymore. It became you know, very human to me. And through that experience over time, and I'm literally summing up about four to five years here, it was just apparent that what the Chicagoland area needed was a long-term residential home for women to heal from their sexual trauma and from their experience of being trafficked. Um, and just to real fast forward, you know, Naomi's, Hope, Naomi's house opened in 2016 with that mission. And um, I have since learned that the women that I met through street outreach were um, really make up a small minority of how women are groomed and recruited and experience human trafficking. So walking the streets is a small percentage of what it looks like. Um, and so since then, obviously, I've just learned a ton and have experienced personal life change uh, as you get to know women in their experiences and how incredibly strong they are, um, that my life has changed incredibly because of um, the lives that I've had the opportunity to meet and the women um, that we've been able to serve. Chris, how about yourself? Sure, thanks Thanks again for having me. Um, there's Chris Baker, the founder of Inc. 180. I grew up in South Central Los Angeles, though I was not involved. Most of my friends were involved in gang activity and I watched 17 of those friends lose their lives growing up. I moved my family, uh, my wife and three kids out here to the Chicagoland area about 13 years ago. And um, we saw the same thing every night on the news in between the, the sports and the weather it was how many kids got killed in Inglewood that day. And, you know, I, I used to be one of those people that would say, you know, somebody's got to do something to fix this. And then God reminded me that I'm somebody. And uh, basically, I was given the gift of the Ministry of Inc. 180 to start removing and covering gang tattoos for people who were trying to change their lives and go in a different direction. And then about a year into that, I was giving an update at church. And a good friend of mine uh, is an agent with Homeland Security. He got really excited afterwards. And he's like, man, you got to come speak to our gang team. They'd love to work with you. And we set the meeting up for about a week later. And as I was driving up, he called me and asked if another team could sit in on the meeting. I said, sure, that's no problem. You know, who is it? He said, oh, it's our, it's our trafficking team. And I was like, what does drug trafficking have to do with removing and covering tattoos? And he told me that this was related to sex trafficking. And I, I was blown away. I had heard about sex trafficking happening in Southeast Asia and Eastern Europe. And not that that makes it any less horrible and horrific, but I had no idea that this was happening in our backyards. And I spent about two and a half hours with their trafficking team that afternoon. They opened my eyes in a way that few things ever have. Asked me if I'd be willing to expand the ministry to help cover up the tattoo brands that were forced on sex trafficking victims when they became survivors to remove that pimp's name or a barcode from the back of the neck or 
vulgar images that are tattooed on some of these these victims. Of course, I was absolutely open to doing that. The federal government is very connected. The uh, Homeland Security told the FBI. The FBI told the State Department. The State Department called the Department of Justice, the U.S. Attorney. So we work with all of them now across the country. Um, and we're blessed to be able to do it. Um, we also teach things like social media safety. We go into the junior highs and high schools and church groups. And anytime we can educate the community about the realities of sex trafficking going on in our country, we love to do that. So, Chris, given what you just said, in your opinion, who's, who's the most at risk for being lured into this trap of being trafficked? Well, that's a hard thing. It's everybody, right? Nobody's safe. Mm-hmm. It's um, one of the questions that we get most often is, you know, Chris, tell us like, what's an average victim like? And I I don't like to use the word victim because we work with survivors, but we've seen it across the board. We've seen people who dealt with sexual abuse very, very young in their own home to people who were neglected in foster care, all the way across the table of the spectrum to a kid living in an affluent home in Naperville who gets mad because her parents won't let her go out and date this boy that they don't like. So she runs off to go spend the weekend with them. And then she's in Cleveland. There's no norm. And that's what makes it such a hard thing to fight. Simone, so you have the safe house. What circumstances would a woman be brought to Naomi's house? Um, How does it happen? And in general, what condition are your clients in when they first come to you? Hmm. Well, we, most of our referrals come from similar agencies that Chris mentioned, uh, law enforcement and other agencies that are working with survivors across the country. And, you know, I should say that we opened Naomi's house to address the need in the Chicago area, you know, the 20,000 plus women that it's estimated are trafficked every year. But our very first woman who came to us came from North Dakota. And as soon as we opened, we started getting referrals from all over the country, realizing that there are a few places that have a long-term and comprehensive program for survivors. And so that's when we personally were having to prepare for more referrals than we anticipated and from all over the country. What's important to mention and also a beautiful part of our program is that women choose to come to Naomi's house. It's a volunteer program where she's at a point in her life where she has um, gotten to a place where she she's looking for healing. She's looking for a safe place um, that's removed from her former life, which is why sometimes women come from out of state. They are just looking for a fresh start. And Chris is so dead on about how trafficking impacts anyone. No one's exempt from being groomed by a predator. Um, However, we do see trends, of course, in the women that we see. And a lot of them, if not all of them, have experienced some sort of abuse, whether it's sexual or physical, emotional abuse as children. And that's a a trend we see um, for women that we serve. And so a lot of times we'll see a woman move into our program who has been just stunted by trauma and what trauma does is it impacts the brain in such a way that you're, you're sort of stuck in that moment and without professional help and emotional, and I would throw in spiritual guidance, it's really hard to file that, tra- that traumatic memory away and learn to live in the present and even dream about her future. So often when women come to us, that's what we're seeing is they're feeling stuck. They're feeling like they can't move forward and they, and, and oftentimes they even have a hard time feeling present in that 
moment even. So from an emotional and spiritual standpoint, that's a lot of what we see. And I'll just throw in real quickly that we also see from a tangible perspective, women are coming to us, not only branded by their traffickers, but they also come to us without a valid ID. They many times do not have health insurance. Their education has been disrupted. Um, They've experienced some sort of homelessness and oftentimes there's a drug addiction. So you mix all of that together and that's where she's coming from a um, practical standpoint as well. Chris, Simone mentioned um, trauma. You're working with a girl going to remove or cover a tattoo. Could you talk about the trauma a little bit that you've experienced with that? Yeah, it's prevalent. One of the, when we started removing and covering sex trafficking tattoos, I reached out to a lot of people who are considered to be experts or advocates because I wanted to make the experience as smooth as it could be for the survivors. Um, because I knew that I was going to be working with people who had been physically, mentally just brutalized by men. And if I'm being honest, I'm, you know, I'm six foot four. 325 pounds covered in tattoos. I don't look like the nicest guy. Um, And I wanted to make them feel as comfortable as possible. So one of the things that we had put in as a hard requirement was that anytime a survivor comes to Inc. 180 or we go to a facility to help them, they must have their caseworker, social worker, victim advocate, victim specialist, whatever the person's title is, they're in the room with us. And I, I put that in place because... I'm a very compassionate person, but I do not know how to help somebody that is triggering from PTSD. And I first and foremost want to make sure that that survivor has that person right alongside them, that if that happens, I can exit the room, they can take their time, talk through it, and decide if they want to proceed. Simone, what are the most effective elements in your ministry as far as what you do Mm. to help these survivors come through Mm. to become thrivers? That's a really good question. And what Chris was just touching on, um, what we call in the direct services world is just trauma-informed care. And it is so important that anybody who is working with trafficking survivors has a training of what it means to be trauma-informed because... Uh, The average person, myself included, when I started, thinks you're maybe you're trying to help and you have good intentions. But ultimately, if you're not if you're not familiar with what trauma does and how PTSD plays out on a daily basis, you could misinterpret someone's behaviors or actions or disengagement. And if you misunderstand that, it could lead to improperly helping someone um, and potentially even making the problem worse. Just a real quick example of this is in the trauma world, there is this description of someone's window of tolerance. And it's if you liken it to a child, they have a very small window of tolerance. And if they don't get their way, they're out of their window is what we say. They're either really depressed and they can't, you know, function or they're really hyper and they are throwing a tantrum in a toddler's world. So trauma shrinks someone's window of tolerance. And so when women come to Naomi's house, we are teaching them, here's your window of regulation. And if something happens to you, you're triggered or you um, have a, you know, a bad day or whatever it is, you can you'll fall out of your window of tolerance and you'll either go hyper or hypo. And we teach them this early, early on in the program so that they can start to self-identify. And it's hysterical when a woman really grabs hold of this tool and she'll say, if you don't leave me alone, I will be out of my window of tolerance. And it ends up being a powerful tool for her to learn how to regulate herself, which is ultimately the goal. 
that she just controls her own life again. She has the power to, to control her own emotions and regulation. And sometimes it's accomplished early on because she has the language to describe how she's feeling. But the ultimate goal is to empower her to utilize all the tools that we offer. So education, job training, tattoo cover-up and removal, um, healthcare access, family reunification, if that's something that's healthy for her. And then, of course, tons of one-on-one trauma-informed therapy, as well as groups, and then substance abuse recovery. So all of that put into one person's 15-month journey looks different based on her needs. Um, But that's ultimately the goal is for all of those pieces to work together for her good and to um, empower her to live out an abundant life. Simone, I just wanted to ask you at this point, it made me think of it as you're talking, one of your newer programs that I'm excited Mm -hmm. about and that, you know, I want to see K-Cares get behind is I believe you call it your NH4 program. Mm -hmm. Could you explain that to our listeners? Yeah. So we launched an H4 almost a year ago in January, 2020, or as we all refer to that pre-COVID and it is an independent living program. So it's for women who have graduated from Naomi's house and are looking to build on the foundation that they built for themselves while in our residential program. Uh, So a woman lives independently in an apartment and she still receives services from Naomi's house, some help with her rent. She gets weekly case management. We continue to provide for her therapy. And then she has accountability in four specific areas. So leadership development, education, um, she's employed, she has to be in school or working or a combination of the two the whole time. And then the ultimate goal is independence after another year of services. So it's been the most beautiful program because women are in a healthy place and then they get to live out um, what they work so hard to do, but they have a community around them. Chris, you're very involved with different branches of law enforcement. And you know, Whereas I find a lot of people, just average people, don't realize that trafficking is going on all around us. What has been your experience with law enforcement, uh, especially in the suburbs? Are they open to the idea? What is the general attitude in law enforcement about this? As far as, so as local law enforcement, I think they're learning. One of the biggest populations I do educational stuff for outside of the junior highs and high schools is law enforcement. Uh, whether it's teaching them, you know, what different gang tattoos mean, uh, and then the trafficking, you know, I, uh, I have some tools that I've been blessed with from the FBI to be able to show, for example, the uh, some of the Asian massage parlors in different communities and reviews that the predators that use this site will leave and review these massage parlors and tell exactly what's going on. Um, I live in a town called Oswego. There's 35,000 people and we have seven Asian massage parlors, four of which are involved in trafficking. And when I bring that evidence to the police, their initial reaction is, who are you and how do I know this is real? Well, they find out pretty quickly when they call the contacts that we have at the FBI that we have been trained and vetted by the FBI and Homeland Security. So now they'll listen. I provide that training free of charge because I want our police officers to know if they see a a girl or a guy um, that they suspect is involved in any kind of prostitution that they will think before they make assumptions. Um, I think law enforcement has been trained for years to identify what they look at is prostitution and they'll, their first move is to arrest the person being prostituted. And that's not always appropriate. Now, if that person is able to, or even brave enough to be able to say, Hey, I'm being trafficked. I'm not doing this. This isn't my will. A lot of times an untrained law enforcement officer is going to say, yeah, sure you are. Um, but we're, we're trying to show them 
with evidence, with, with cases in our area that this is real, this is happening. Um, we had a girl in Oswego that was trafficked, that was recovered. Um, this is a couple of years ago in this tiny little town. We have kids here in Oswego. Adult videos are being made against their knowledge or without their knowledge and being posted on websites. This is another form of exploitation. So trying to educate police um, is something I'm passionate about. It's a huge, huge undertaking. We've been doing it with the Chicago PD for the last five years. Um, and then wherever we speak around the country, we, we try to meet with local law enforcement and tell them why we're there and what we're there to do to educate them about what's going on in their communities as well. Randy, can I tell you a super quick story about yeah. To piggyback on that, we had a woman who was being trafficked in the city in Chicago, and there was a, a bust of some sort, and there was suspicion that there could be trafficking involved, there was definitely drugs involved and other illegal activity, and a victim advocate, who Chris is mentioning, um, who worked for the FBI in Chicago, was on the scene because they suspected there could be exploitation, and this young woman, she was probably 20, 20-ish, and she was kind of caught in the scene because his victim advocate was trained she was able to identify um yeah maybe this woman was selling her body but i have a pretty strong suspicion that it wasn't by choice and instead of this woman being arrested for prostitution she was slowly and in a safe manner comfortably escorted out of this situation by this fbi victim specialist who started a case on her behalf to bring charges against this trafficker and um, because of that relationship and because this woman was trained and the woman that was being exploited felt safe enough, she went with this woman. And it was, I mean, a very dramatic scene where she really questioned, can I go with you and can I trust you? And what's going to happen to my life if I walk out of my life with my trafficker? So she ended up coming to Naomi's house. She graduated after a year and a half. And the woman who walked her out of that scene, the FBI victim specialist, came to this woman's graduation. And she said, out of all the women that we have helped in these situations that we have tried to provide services for that so that she feels safe to leave her trafficking. I've never seen a woman complete a program afterward. And so she was there to show up at that graduation and to cheer her on and, you know, just let her know that you were one out of thousands that I've seen and I've helped rescue that has made it super powerful. That's a I mean, it's a positive story of how law enforcement is doing great work. And, you know, thanks to Chris and other people who are training them in that it's, you know, we're seeing progress. That's incredibly encouraging to hear some positive stuff about mm -hmm. this and how yeah. it's being combated. So you both have kind of answered my last question um, about how do you not lose hope mm -hmm. with the constant exposure to mm -hmm. the darkness that mm -hmm. you guys do have to see and hear about? Simone? Yeah. Um, well, you don't lose hope because first of all, just as someone who's, who sees this every day, you have to know where your own heart lies. You know, what is your ultimate purpose in this? I learned day one, I'm not the hero. There's no, there's nothing about what is happening that is meant to make me feel good. This is a human to human issue. And the ultimate goal is not to make people more like me, but it's to give women tools to be more themselves. And the hope is that when, when a woman is in the right place, she's emotionally engaged. She's had, she's, she's had lots of opportunities to grow in her healing and she starts to believe in herself and she starts to believe in her own dignity and that God has a purpose for her. We see 
the most incredible life change. And I mean, women and Chris mentioned this, but women come to Naomi's house and they're half of them can't even sleep in a bed. Beds are too triggering to them. They have beds are the evil place, you know? And so for them and the courage to start to feel safe again, we, we had a consultant work with us early on in our program. And she said, your women don't have the capacity to process joy. So tone it down when they walk into Naomi's house, they can't process your smiles and your joy, help them to feel safe and help them to feel needed and wanted because that's what your program does. But as they progress, when they do graduate that 15 months of hard work, I can, I can guarantee you there's a lot of joy going on in those graduations. We actually have one tomorrow, a woman's graduating and the room is filled with joy. So much happens in those 15 months when she starts to trust herself again, and then she slowly starts to trust other people. And we go from seeing women who can't sleep in a bed because they're too triggering to a woman who's now in our NH4 program, who's in school for criminal justice. She's traveling around the country, speaking on behalf of other victims and, and survivors and her life is, a, is dramatically different than it was even three or four years ago. And she can't even talk about the change that she's gone through without just tearing up and expressing how she never saw this, the life that she's living now, an opportunity for her. She didn't believe it was possible. So that is what gives me hope is that the human spirit, and I just might be biased here, but women in particular are so damn resilient and they can really overcome anything with the right community and the right tools and the, just that, that risk that they take on themselves to say, I'm worth this. I'm worth this fight. Um, and so that's what gives me hope is that I see it. I see it happen. I watch people transform before my very eyes. Chris, any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, the things that give me hope are, um, there's a ton of them every mm-hmm. day that we get to do this work and I get to learn something more from a survivor, mm-hmm. because like Simone said, they are the most resilient people mm-hmm. you'll ever meet in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that gives me a great amount of hope is whenever we go and, and speak at events, we're seeing a tremendous amount of young people come out for those events because they they want to fight this. They've chosen this as their fight. And I, I've spoken about this many, many times. You know, I'm nearly 50 years old and somewhere along the timeline of my life, we stop raising our boys to be real men and treat women as equal partners in a relationship and not just some conquest. And we've also allowed our daughters to turn their focus to how much attention they get on social media. So what we need is we need to really build our young people up to value each other. And Mm -hmm. we're seeing that we're hearing that we need a change in culture Mm. um, because everything that our kids and all of us are surrounded with on a daily basis is the hypersexualization of everything from music to movies, to TV, to advertising. And because of this amazing invention, the cell phone, the average age that an American kid sees pornography for the first time is eight years old. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that does chemical changes to the brain. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it it creates unrealistic Mm -hmm. expectations of relationships. And we need to really start raising our kids. And the fact that we're seeing more and more young people take up this fight is super encouraging and very hopeful to me. That's great. Adrian, that's what we've got. So I'll throw it back to you. Randy, thank you for inviting Kristen Simone on our podcast. I am overwhelmed by both the darkness of what's happening as well as the hope 
that these leaders and their organizations are providing. Um, to our listeners, as KEHI employees, you participate in our work with these impactful organizations. A percentage of our profits as a company are set aside for the KEHI Cares Foundation, which provides support to organizations like Naomi's House and Inc. 180. To learn more about how KEHI Cares is fighting human trafficking, you can visit the KEHI Cares website at www.kehicares.org. Chris, if our listeners want to learn more about your ministry, how can they do that? Uh, yes, if they want to learn more about Inc. 180, our website is www.ink180.com or Inc. 180 on Facebook. And Simone, if our listeners want to learn more about Naomi's House, how can they do that? Yeah, same. Naomi'shouse.org is our website. And then we're Chicago Naomi's House for our Instagram and Facebook handle. I think that's it for today's episode. Thank you again, Randy, Chris, and Simone for such an important conversation.